Welcome to Dean's Discuss, a podcast that examines how science and research at UC Davis affect our everyday lives. Join our hosts, Allison Brashear, Dean of the UC Davis School of Medicine, and Michael Lairmore, Dean of the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, as they give their thoughts on how the work of scientists, physicians, and researchers affects us all. Hi, Michael. Hey, hi, Allison. How are you doing today? Good. I think we're going to talk about herd immunity, and we'll let you tackle that definition because you're a veterinarian, so you know all about herds. Well, yeah, I'll try. Uh, you know, herd immunity actually was, is a very interesting term. It actually was developed uh, in veterinary medicine. There was a recent Lancet article which had a great review of the, the history of the term herd immunity. And it was really developed uh, in the early 1900s, uh, about 1918, when it was first documented in the literature. And it came about because of a big problem. And the problem was animals dying of diseases where they had no vaccines, they had no treatments for. And what they noticed is if they let that disease go through a herd and allowed the animals to develop the disease and had a devastating effect, those that survived actually the next year were immune from that disease. And you can apply it to lots of different things. Uh, West Nile virus is a good example. It swept through the country, infected a lot of birds in this country. Um, and then the next year, uh, you know, it, it killed a lot of, of animals. The next year it uh, was immune in those birds and they survived. But that's now been applied, of course, to the current COVID pandemic. And the term herd immunity has been bantered about from policy to uh, reality. And I, I think we need to talk a little bit more about that and why it's likely not a solution to COVID-19. So in humans, my understanding is the theory is that it does just that. You allow something to kind of run rampant, untethered, and you know the survivors survive and become stronger and the weak don't survive, which I think is just a, a terrible, um, I mean, thousands more people would die. Um, and, you know, I think there's some countries, um, Sweden that did that, and it sounded like it would work, but it didn't. Uh, and, you know, certainly um, I'm very hopeful that we'll have a vaccine, but, but the idea that we would just not do anything um, certainly just is counterintuitive to everything that we kind of hold dear in this country. Yeah, I really think it goes against public health, uh, yes. you know, policies, guideline, ethics. Um, you know, we, we can't do that because we do know that there are very safe and simple measures by which we can prevent the spread of an infection like mask and physical distancing. And all of the things that, that we're trying to do here in California and beyond, um, but also we have to be, give us time uh, and the time is in the development of the vaccines and the development of therapeutics. And that does take time. It's happening in COVID at a record speed, of course. We have several vaccines that are in the stage three um, yes. development. So that's exciting. Uh, but if you, if you decided that we were gonna let it go throughout the country, um, what would happen is all the vulnerable, uh, the elderly, uh, those with immune deficiencies, you know, they would be particularly, it, it's, it's all well and good for a young person to think that they're immune, 
but in fact, some young people have had devastating effects from COVID-19. Uh, we've even seen uh, vascular diseases in children. So herd immunity is not likely to happen. Now, what immunity is, is a very important concept and our natural immunity and our uh, adapted immunity when we use vaccines, yes, uh, yeah. totally we understand that, but to absolutely do nothing is, is not an option. Right. And so, you know, the idea is I think we, we step in with the things we've been doing, the masking, the social distancing, um, and then, you know, the drugs and the vaccines, and we have to be very active. The idea that we're just going to gut through this um, is, is just very short-sighted. You know, I think that's one of the things that um, if there's a good thing about any of this, it's teaching people about public health. It's teaching certainly our medical students about public health. And I, you know, um, I think now the community knows so much more about vaccine and hygiene and how things are transmitted and what the CDC is and the NIH. And, you know, it's made people hyper aware of these things and the importance of them. And certainly it's clear now that um, research is gonna bring the, the change. It's not gonna come just from wishful thinking. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, a real crux uh, in a, at a academic medical center, which we have the privilege to work for, you know, really is about evidence-based science around what do we know? And so each patient we learn from, each, each, um, each time we have a disease like this, we learn from it. And we know a lot about coronaviruses, the class of viruses that cause COVID-19. So we know more about their structure than, and faster than any other virus in history. Uh, we know about all the types of strains that are infecting people. And using that knowledge uh, together to try to create interventions then becomes a, a real national um, you know, uh, effort. And that's what's going on right now. One thing that we could have used is probably a more uniform public health response and, and policies that allowed a uniform application of some of the preventive measures because we have a patchwork yeah. Uh, a patchwork throughout our country in which different states, different regions, even within a state, have been allowed to make decisions. And some of those have been wrong decisions that have allowed uh, spreading events to occur. And, you know, if you have that, um, you're going to have some um, non-evidence-based um, things happen. We know this is an aerosol transmitted virus, for example. And if you ignore that, it's at your own peril. So the wearings of, of the mask until we get an immunity within a population. Now, hopefully with the vaccines, uh, hopefully with enough people that have recovered from COVID, we will see a diminished um, uh, pandemic you know, over time and we will get through this much as we've done with other things. So it can be more manageable. You know, we've, we've managed influenza um, and it now is, is, has a vaccine. We have to adapt that every year, but we are able to control that with simple public health measures and a vaccine. And we'll get there with COVID, but it can't be just ignoring it and let it run rampant. Right, so I think the take home message here is that uh, the problem is can't be solved just by wishful thinking, can't be solved by herd immunity. It's really gotta be out solved by active processes public health processes, which are the recommendations are masking, social distancing things, but then the recommendation will be vac vaccination, just like we've done with the flu. 
So before vaccination, um, I'm, old, I'm old enough to remember when people used to die of the flu, and now that doesn't happen nearly as much. It still happens quite a bit more than we would want. But with the vaccine, we've been able to intervene in the processes. Otherwise, it was just, um, it, was, it was terrible, um, and particularly for those vulnerable. And without processes in public health and strong institutions, the most vulnerable are going to be the ones that are going to be at risk for whatever disease we're talking about. And that vulnerability comes because they don't have, they don't have the appropriate healthcare, or they don't have the appropriate places to live, or they have other comorbid conditions. And so, you know, without strong public health, the most vulnerable are going to be at risk. And I think that that's you know, the onus is on us as as people who are leaders in academic medicine, but also the onus is on our institutions to really make public health really strong. And if we haven't learned from this, I don't think, you know, boy, I hope we have. Yeah, and, and really one of the things that I've been impressed with too is the cooperation between the university and the California Department of Public Health, uh, the Yolo County Public Health, the Sacramento County Public Health, one of the things that, that it really takes also is, is teamwork to really understand what is happening within your location as well. And I think those partners have been tremendous in really looking at our situation regionally as well. So it, it takes a, a, both a combination of science and public policy and uh, local officials to really come together and uh, really combat this kind of disease. We're seeing it happening. We've seen a, a lower incidence yeah. uh, in California, but as we have uh, disruptions or people not paying attention to that, you know, we 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 will endure, especially with winter coming on, uh, as people come maybe closer together in indoor spaces. Right. We might see an expected uh, increase in cases of COVID, but um, having learned from the previous experiences. Uh, not relying upon herd immunity, but relying upon good uh, public health measures, we can get through this. And, you know, hopefully early next year, we'll be able to, to have a vaccine rollout. So that, that's what all of our faculty are really excited about, working on everything from the basic science of the virus to, to public health policy. I know uh, it's incredible how our teams across both schools have operated. It's been amazing. And I would add to the important thing about clear and constant communication. I think um, we can't over communicate. We've seen that nationally when we haven't had clear, constant communication. So that's one of the important things I think that's happened here. Um, really making sure everybody knows kind of where we're at. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a uh, time when the information can change quite a bit from week to week. So uh, I think that's incredible. A lot of misinformation out there. Misinformation. Well. Yes. And Know oh my sources. goodness. Know your sources. <laughs> yes, know your sources and you know, don't get all your information off, you know, um uh, social media. So, you know, I can't I just um, it's it's so important. You know, I think we've been able to make really clearly articulate that herd immunity is not the way to go and shouldn't be embraced and really is counterintuitive to our nation's values. Um, and, you know, here at UC Davis, we're being very proactive. So this has been just a great conversation. It's always so good to talk to with you, Michael. You just always have such a great insight and it's wonderful to partner the vet school with the med school. I really enjoy these. Thank you, Allison. And let's continue that teamwork uh, next week as we tackle other subjects. You know, we might want to pursue some of that, uh, looking into how does science produce evidence and why is evidence important? Why is the data 
important and, and follow that up. So looking forward to our continuing conversation, Allison. Yep, data is important. Thank you so much, Michael. Take care. Like what you heard or have an idea for a future episode? Email the deans with your suggestions at deansdiscuss at ucdavis.edu. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Dean's Discuss Podcasts is available free on demand at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon's TuneIn, Stitcher, Pandora, and Spotify. This is Dean's Discuss.